currently on a journey uh, through the book of Hebrews. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in the series um, for a number of weeks, and all of our recordings are online. You can catch up. You can listen to it again. Um, we love just going through books of the Bible and expressing it and, um, you know, we, and, and just uh, distilling the main ideas from every chapter so that you can get a better picture of what it is that God is saying to us through His Word and what it means for your life um, and so that we can start building our lives on truth, building our lives on what Jesus has done, understanding the finished work of the cross and having it impact the way that we live every single day. And so we love preaching the Word, and we love hearing the Word, and we love being built up by the Word. And uh, the book of Hebrews has been such an incredible journey, um, because ultimately it's a book that shows us why Jesus is better. It's a book that tells us why the message of Jesus is a better message than any self-help message or any religious message or, or any encouraging inspirational message. You know, you've got Goldcast and you've got your Daily Mail and you've got your Diply and you've got all the, you know, these, these viral companies that, that try and create content and put it out there. And there's a lot of inspirational stuff. And all the messages that we hear in our day-to-day -day life, there is still no better message and never will be a better message than what Jesus did for all of us on the cross, for the grace of God, the gospel, the good news. Um, and it's a declaration that, that the message of Jesus is better than religion. It's better than sacrifice. It's better than human effort. Um, Jesus is God's complete solution for man's total need. He is God's complete solution for man's total need. What is it that you need this morning? What is it that you feel that you lack? What is, are, you, are you searching for significance or worth or love or rest or, or restoration or redemption or, or healing in your life? Whatever it is that you feel that you need in order to be whole, God has already provided Jesus for us to be that complete solution. We believe that Jesus is the hope of humanity. That is our message as a church. The anchor is Jesus. Jesus is the anchor of our souls and the hope that we have in Him as the forerunner who has gone ahead of us into the most holy place, into the presence of God. He anchors us in a relationship with God. He's our hope. He's the one that we hold on to. And He is our Savior, the hope of the world. And so there is no greater message than the message of God's grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. And and, and, that, and this is the news that we've been reconnected with God. Your life is not distant from God anymore. You are not disconnected from God anymore. You have been reconnected. You didn't reconnect yourself. You've been reconnected by your faith in Jesus. It's by what He did for us that unites us with God's goodness. He's the bridge, as we've spoken about before in Hebrews. He's the bridge, the perfect bridge that was able to, to you know, a bridge has to cover two parts of land over a body of water or over, over a, a valley. And, and, and as that bridge goes across, it touches on one side and it touches on other side. And Jesus was completely God when he walked on the earth. He was, he was God even though he had laid down his rights as God. He was 100% God. He had the, his one side of the bridge in heaven with the Father. But on the other side of the bridge, he became completely human. He was a man just like us. And he grew up and he suffered and he was tempted and he experienced everything that we experienced. And so he is perfectly able to represent our weakness before God and God's righteousness before us. He's the perfect bridge. And he's the one, once that bridge has been built, that enables God's goodness to flow into our lives in every area. It doesn't matter what you're facing, 
Jesus has connected you to the favor of God. He's connected you to the blessing of God. He's connected you to um, the grace of God in every situation. And everything that has ever blocked us from God's best has been removed. Did you know this morning that you do not need to settle for second best in your life? You do not need to settle for second best at any point because you're connected to God's best through Jesus. And so whatever it is that we're hoping in God for and trusting in God for, we can believe that He has the best for us. And so last week, uh, we ended off in halfway through Hebrews 10. If you have your Bibles this morning, um, you can turn with me to Hebrews 10. Um, in the New Testament, probably uh, in your Bibles, towards the, the back of your Bible, towards the end of your Bible, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. And we looked at uh, Hebrews 10, verse 17 and 18 last week, which spoke about how Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins once and for all, which means that as human beings, we do not need to try and pay for our own sins or make sacrifices to be right with God because He has already done that work for us through Jesus. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once and for all, and we spoke about how that removes us from this place where we constantly have to be conscious of our sins, where we're constantly focused on our sins, where we're constantly trying to fix ourselves and, and remedy ourselves and help ourselves. We don't need to help ourselves. We need to put our faith in Jesus who helps us and in the finished work of the cross because he paid the price already. And so in Hebrews 10, 17, um, God makes the statement. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. God will remember your sins and your lawless deeds and anything that you have done or anything that you might even do in the future, it's been covered by the grace of God and he remembers them no more. This is a promise from the Old Testament that God made all the way through that he said that once I have sent my perfect sacrifice in my son Jesus, you would never need to pay for your sins anymore. You can let go of the things that you did wrong in your yesteryear. You can let go of the, the, the guilt and the remorse and, and we learn from things and we understand that, that we're imperfect people, and, and I've often looked back at my life and thought, I wish I could do that differently. I wish I had handled that situation better. But do you know what? I don't allow it to affect my relationship with God because I believe fully that God no longer allows it to affect his relationship with me. He has forgotten my sins and my lawless deeds, and where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I don't have to make up for my sin anymore. Because God has done everything to make up for it. And the moment I begin to try to make up for it, I'm actually acting in unbelief. I'm actually being disobedient to the gospel because God has declared, I won't remember it. And we're like, no, 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 but I'll pay for it. And he's like, I've paid for it already. He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it, God. I don't want to receive what you've done. It's actually a rejection of his grace. But being faithful means believing that God has forgiven us. And so we move into Hebrews 10 verse 19, which I want to read today. But I love how Hebrews 10 19 starts with a big therefore. Everybody say therefore. Therefore, uh, I love when, when, when the Bible says that because it means that we can take everything that we've read in this chapter so far and everything that's come before in the previous chapters, and we're going to understand that because of that, we can now have this. You know, when God saves you, He saves you from a lot of things. He saves us from our sins, from judgment, from the debt that we owed because we had broken the law of God, because we had acted um, in, in disunity or, or in disobedience to, to what was right and what was, what was God's standard. But He doesn't just save you from things, He saves you to something. 
There's, there's a future. There's a path. There's more for you. And, and, and so when all of this is dealt with, there's a big therefore that comes into our lives. And it's so I'm going to read these few verses um, to you, and, and we'll go through this. But in Hebrews 10:19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So you see, there's a big therefore. Because God remembers our sins no more, because we have been forgiven, because Jesus died on the cross, we have confidence to enter into the most holy place. We read earlier in the chapter about how in the temple, only the high priest could go into the most holy place, which is the place where God's presence was, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then even in doing that, he would have to offer sacrifices for his own sins before offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. This wasn't a place that you could go and be at home at. This was a place that you went into quickly to offer sacrifice, and then you got out again. But what Jesus did when he died on the cross the curtain in the temple that separated people from the most holy place was split in two. And that means that we get to go into this with confidence. In other words, if God was physically here this morning, in the physical, we know he is here spiritually, but physically if he was here, not one of us would need to be afraid. Not one of us would need to stand back and go, whoa, I don't know if I'm, if I'm worthy. Like Isaiah, who all of a sudden found himself in the throne room, and he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I, I shouldn't be here. I'm, I, I, I'm going to die in this place because I am not worthy of being in God's presence. And in that moment, an angel goes over to the altar, takes a coal from, from the fire, and puts it uh, from the altar, puts it to his lips, and declares that there is no more sin in his life, that he has been forgiven. And all of a sudden, Isaiah is reporting for duty. All of a sudden, he says, here I am, God, send me. There's confidence that comes when you know that you've been forgiven. So in the presence of God, because he remembers our deeds, our lawless deeds no more and our sins no more, all of us are welcome. You're welcome this morning. You don't need a degree in theology. You don't have to be a Christian for 100 years. You don't, you, 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 it doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. God has forgiven you, and so we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's by his blood, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. You understand? We understand now that when that curtain was torn that separated us from the presence of God, in that same way the flesh of Jesus was torn on the cross, and that gave us access to the Father with confidence. So therefore, we have confidence to enter, and he says, and since we have a great high priest, that's the bridge, Jesus representing us to the Father, making, making atonement for our sins. He has done that perfectly. And so he rules as the great high priest, connecting us with God. He says, therefore, because of all these things that Jesus has done, let us draw near. Do you know that you can draw near to God? Do you know that you don't have to be afraid of God? You don't have to hide from God. You don't have to be like Adam and Eve that after they sinned, they hid away because they were ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed. What we get to do as Christians is that we get to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done with a true heart. We're completely true in our faith and in our belief in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You have been cleansed. We don't carry an evil conscience into the presence of God. Our consciousness of sin has been removed and we now live with a consciousness of righteousness. We understand who we are in Christ, and so we go before him. We can hear from him. We can, we can speak to him. We can spend time with him. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession 
of our hope. Let's hold fast to what Jesus has done, where our hope is, without wavering, without wavering, without doubting, without being moved, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. Let's consider how to encourage and meet together and, and support and help one another and all the, the more as we see the day drawing near. So God has got some incredible encouragement for us and he, he invites us to draw near to him, not being ashamed, not holding back, but moving forward. And that's why the title of the message I wanna share with you today is Consider Jesus and Never Give Up. Consider Jesus and Never Give Up. Up. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you, how you failed, no matter, no matter what you may be experiencing, do not give up because Jesus has done it all. Let's go ahead and, and pray together this morning and we'll get into these verses. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your presence. We thank you, God, that we are completely welcome with you this morning. Even if we're visiting, even if we're here for the first time, even if we haven't been to church in years, even if we failed this very weak, Lord. We thank you that we are still welcome in your presence, and we thank you that you are at work in our hearts and through our lives. Thank you, God, that we can encourage one another, that we can build each other up, that we can be the family and the community of God that walks with each other and loves each other. And we thank you, God, for everything that you are saying to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. So uh, the other day I heard a pastor say something which has just been ringing in my ears um, since the moment I heard it, and, and it connected to something that I felt God had said to me um, in about October last year, and, and, um, and it's just about the journey that God has us on and how often we underestimate what God can do through our lives if we simply keep going. And what this pastor said, and it, it's just so absolutely true, is that we, over, we often overestimate what we can do in a short period of time. Like we think we can, we can kind of do it all in a, in a moment and we, we overestimate what we can achieve or, or do in a short period of time. And then we often underest, underestimate what we can do over a long period of time. So as people, we overestimate what we can do in a short period and underestimate what is possible if we just start, if we just get on the journey, if we just take the next step. I heard somebody once say that if you studied a subject for one hour a day, for just five years. Now, when I say that up front, you think, wow, that is a lot of, uh, of effort. But five years, for those of you that know, um, go by really, really quickly. If just for one hour a day you studied a subject um, for the next five years, you would be considered an expert in that field. An expert in that field. I often think about the fact that, you know, we, we think about people becoming a doctor, for example, and we think about how many years of study that takes. And, and, and then you realize that if I just started now, seven years from now, just take your age, add seven years, by that age, you can be a doctor if you wanted to be. Obviously, you should, you'd need to be good at those subjects. So for some of you, it might, take, it might take eight, it might take nine. But the point is, the point is, if you started we could honestly do so much more than what we think we can do. So often we settle with our current uh, level and our current phase of life, and we think, well, this is it for me. I can't go further. But the truth is, if you just started and did a little bit every day, you could completely transform your life. 
So we overestimate what we can do in a short period of time, but so often we underestimate what would happen, what effect we can, we can cause, what change could happen if we, if we just continued at it. And, and the world is full of stories of people that just continued at it, that just didn't give up, that just kept moving forward. And as they did that, sooner or later, they were able to make a success. That's why they say it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Because people just keep going and keep going and keep going and nobody knows about it, nobody knows what's happening, nobody sees their journey, and all of a sudden people become aware that there is something special, there's something unique, there's something authentic, there's something powerful about this person's life and gifting and, and ability, and, and all of a sudden there's recognition, but they don't see that there was a 10-year journey or a 20-year journey or a 30-year journey to get there. As a church, we're only three years old, and so often we can think and, and we can define who we are and, and, and our, our capacity according to what we're able to do right now. But this is not the end of the story. We've only just begun. And, and, and people might not know about Anchor Church. I mean, we're doing our best to get the word out, and hopefully you're inviting friends and helping people to know that they are welcome here. But many people in our city won't hear about Anchor Church. Uh, and then maybe, maybe five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, all of a sudden it'll be this great revelation. Wow, there's this amazing church doing awesome things, shaping our city. Where did they come from? But we've been here Sunday after Sunday, year after year building the kingdom, doing what God has called us to do. And all of a sudden, God opens doors and unveils things, and we walk right into, um, into something amazing that God has for us, but he does it in his time. Our job, however, is to not give up. Our job is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to keep moving forward into everything that God has for us, and that's true for your life. So this has just been, been ringing in my ears um, since I heard it, and, and, and I realized that so often, um, if you're like me, we can, we can get discouraged and even disillusioned if things don't change instantly. If you're working towards change in your life and it doesn't happen like that, you kind of wonder where God is and if you'll ever be able to do it and you begin to doubt whether you have what it takes and, and, and people will come to me and say, I've tried to do this and, and I just, I don't have what it takes. And I was like, how many times have you tried? And they're like, twice, you know? <laughs> My son does this in the mornings. He really struggles to, he just kicks his shoes off when he gets home. And, and so uh, when he, the next morning when he has to put his shoes back on, he has to take, undo the knot in order to put the shoes back on and retie them. And he'll bring the shoe to me and he's like, I can't do this. I can't untie this knot. I just, I cannot put the shoe on. It's impossible for me. How often did you try or how much did you try? He's like, I tried once and I cannot do it. And we're just like that. We try once and we fail or it doesn't work out and and we're like, I can't do it. And we, we either give up or we begin to force it. I'll just put the shoe on with the knot. I'll just do it. I'll just, you know, you're breaking your foot trying to get the shoe on because you're forcing the thing um, because you're not able or, or willing to be patient and to take time. And that whole process is compounded by the fact that we live in a really instant world. People want instant success and they want instant change and, and, uh, and, and they want to just move forward without a process um, and, and, and anything that takes longer than a week, we're like, I don't have time for that. But then we spend two hours a day, you know, scrolling on social media. But I don't have time to do anything. Like, I, I don't have time to transform my body if I need to do that or to, to, to study if I need to study or to work on my family or, or to put uh, time into my, and invest time into, into my career or my relationships. Or my I can't do that, but I have three hours to scroll through Facebook. Right? Imagine if you just substituted the time that you spend on social media or sitting kind of dormant and you actually put it into something that's going to build your life. 
Imagine what you could walk away with um, over the next couple of years if that's what you did. So a lot of people just, if it takes longer than a week, I don't have that kind of time. This is what kept me from being a good cricketer at school, right? Some of you may have been great cricketers. I know Brent was an awesome cricketer, um, but I wasn't that great. And the reason why I struggled with cricket is because I always wanted to be one of the top run scorers on the team, but at the same time, I wanted to spend the least amount of time out on the pitch. This is why eventually I was just mainly in the team to bowl and not to bat. I moved down the rankings from third to fifth to seventh to ninth um, because what I wanted to do is I wanted to get out there. I want to make some runs. I want to make a change. I wanted to bring life to this game, and then I'm done. And um, I remember one game uh, walking out into the middle, and I faced one over, six balls. I hit four fours, a six, and then I got bowled, all right? So I made 22. It wasn't too bad. But I was there for six balls in total, and I was like, that was a great knock. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> and that's why I never anchored my team in an innings. I never went there and won the game because I wasn't patient enough. I wasn't willing to play the long game and to, and to build on something and to lay the foundations and to get my eye in. and to. I just wanted to score runs. And we approach life that way. Now I help my boys with their sport, and as I've mentioned to you before, Eli has, has started playing competitive matches against other schools. This is a big moment for me. You've got to understand. Um, it's not as if I live vicariously through my boys, but I just want them to do really, really well, and all of their teammate, his teammates as well. And so I found myself every extramural, every match, I'm next to the field, I'm shouting instructions. I didn't even realize I was doing it until I watched the videos afterwards and and realized that I am officially that dad that does that thing now. And so this last week, Eli was playing um, a soccer match, and he, he plays goalie, uh, which I'm really chuffed about because that's the position I played, and he's really pretty good at it, and so I've trained him a little bit in the garden, and we're like working on his kicks and these different things, and um, you know, sometimes he gets distracted, and he's looking over there. I'm like, Eli, the ball, the ball's coming. So I'm like, I'm like this constant coach in his ears, standing behind the goals. I'm like instructing the defenders. I'm like, you can run, you can go, go get him, stop him, don't stop. Like, so I'm shouting out instructions all the time, and, uh, and so I'm standing behind the goals, and, and uh, oftentimes when the striker comes, I just want to remind you, this is under seven soccer, okay? My boy, my boy is six. None of this matters whatsoever to anybody. It will make no difference in anybody's life, but I treat it as if it's a life and death situation. And so when the striker comes into the, you know, the 16-yard box, I, I'm like, go, Eli, you can get him. Go dive on the ball, dive on the ball. And Eli will run out, and he dives on the ball. I'm like, not today, number 11, not today. You know, like, <laughs> poor kids are like nearly crying. There's like a dad shouting at them like, And, uh, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be giving the, the strikers advice, and I'll tell Eli, okay, boy, we'll go home, and we'll work on your goal kicks, um, you know, and we'll do that. And he's like, and he's all for it, fortunately, but here's the thing. I forget that he is six years old. I mean, the fact that he can have the coordination to hold a ball in his hand, drop, drop it, and kick it over some other kids' heads, that's pretty amazing already. But I'm like, we'll go work on that, son. We'll make sure you get that ball to the halfway line. Um, and you forget that it takes time. Some of you are like, I'm going to pray for Adrian's kids. <laughs> but many of us approach like, life like this, that if I can't be the best at it right away, I don't even want to try. 
if I can't be the absolute best, if I can't be the, the captain of my industry, if, if my company isn't absolutely crushing it in year one, if, if I'm not an overnight success um, in, in, in the, um, the way that people think about being an overnight success, not the time that it takes to get there, um, then, then I don't want to do it. And what's worse is when we do try and we fail and we just quickly give up. If I didn't make it, I'm just, just going to stop trying. And the reason we do that is because we feel like our success or our failure determines our value. All of us have done that. All of us do that. We think that our successfulness or our ability to succeed determines our value and, and, and our failures speak into our worth as people. And so in order to be safe, we stop taking risks and we start playing it safe and we stop pursuing bold dreams that God has given us. We stop pursuing the things that God has placed in our hearts that seem impossible because we don't want to risk what it would mean if we failed. And I've had those moments, those moments where you face a crisis or a moment where you have a personal failure or some sort of a challenging situation and you think to yourself, this sums up and defines my entire life. That's the mistake that we make. We define our lives according to a moment, and especially in moments of failure. Well, that means if I failed in this moment that I am a failure. It's not just something that happened, but it's something that, that, that I am. And that's the mistake that you can make because making a mistake or failing in any area doesn't make you a failure. It just means that you failed at something that you did or that there was failure in that moment. But it's not your whole life. One moment is not your life. And we shouldn't do that. That would be the equivalent of, of, of reading a book. And uh, for those of you that love reading or watching movies, you know that at some point in the book, uh, things get plunged into chaos. What creates intrigue for us when we listen to stories or read stories is the movement between the, the ordered and the chaotic world. That's how we create intrigue. And so almost every story starts in an idyllic way. Everything's going well. Everything is fine. And then all of a sudden it's plunged into chaos. And we keep reading because we want to ultimately, we all have a desire to see chaos restored to order. And most stories involve watching and finding out how order was restored to a chaotic situation. But imagine if you read a story and just when everything goes wrong in the story, you close the book. Just when everything fails, just when, when uh, there's trouble, just when there's challenge, you, you close the book. Imagine if we did that. My mom actually does this when she watches movies. She watches the first 10 minutes where everything, the scene is set and everything is great. And then the moment things go wrong and it gets stressful, she's like, this is too stressful for me. I'm gone. <laughs> so she never gets to see how things get better. Have you ever done that? When things go wrong in a movie and, like every, and you can see what's happening, you see how it goes wrong and then you're just like, you know what, I don't have the emotional virtue for this right now. I'm not going to make this person's problems my problems. They can figure it out by themselves. <laughs> I have done that at times. But, but if you always do that, you will miss the fact that there's resolution, that there's restoration. Imagine if you read the Bible, because you know the Bible tells us many true stories about real people who lived life and real life like you and I, who were imperfect people, who were ordinary people who faced extraordinary challenges and setbacks and failures, sometimes personal moral failures. But the story goes on. Imagine if we stopped reading the Bible when 
Cain killed Abel, for example. So after Cain killed Abel, we just we don't read any further. We don't find out what the rest of his life was. Imagine if we stopped reading the Bible after Abraham lost patience with God and had a son with his servant Hagar. Imagine if we stopped reading Abraham's story right there. When Moses killed the Egyptian and fled into the wilderness. Imagine if we closed the Bible at that point. When Jonah got a call from God and ran in the opposite direction, trying to get as far from God and from his calling as he possibly could. When Peter denied Jesus three times on the night that he was betrayed. Imagine if we closed the New Testament, the, the, the story of Jesus, when after Peter had denied him. Imagine if we closed the book after Lazarus was buried. And worst of all, God forbid we closed the Bible after Jesus died on the cross on the Friday. You see, every single one of those situations was a real failure or a real challenge or a real situation. But the story continues. The story continues. We don't close the Bible. We keep reading. Because in every single one of those circumstances, what you would see if you kept reading is that there was a resurrection. Jesus didn't only die on the Friday, but he stood up from the dead on Sunday. If you closed the book on Friday, you wouldn't know what had happened. In every one of those stories, there is a, a redemption, a restoration. There was great grace and growth and multiplied impact because that's what God does. So don't close the book on your story when you face a failure. Don't close the book on your story if you're going through a difficult season. Don't define your entire life according to a moment because the story continues and God has resurrection, He has redemption, He has restoration, He has grace, He has growth, growth and He has multiplied impact for your life. What you're going through right now is stretching your capacity to have influence in the future. And if God didn't stretch your capacity, if he didn't cause that growth, you wouldn't be able to fulfill the vision that he has for your life. All the dreams that you had would remain pipe dreams if it wasn't for what God has done. We see this in the life of, of, of uh, Joseph, who has a dream as a young man about how God would use him and how his brothers would come to him and, and, and bow down to him. And, and in that moment, he's so immature, he thinks it's all about him. He thinks about, it's about him getting the glory. And so he runs to his brothers and, and he tells them, oh, you're all going to bow down to me, which if you have like 11 brothers, don't tell them that. You're going to get beaten up. And that's what happened to Joseph. And then look at his journey. Most estimate that his journey was about 17 years from that point onwards. He gets attacked by his brothers. He gets betrayed. He gets thrown into a pit. He then gets sold into slavery. He then gets taken to a foreign land where he gets put into service. And before long, he's betrayed. And he gets put into prison. And, he's been, and then he's forgotten in prison for three years. Nobody even remembers that he exists. Three years. Talk about a process. Talk about a process. Some of us have been going through a challenging season for a week, and we're like, well, I, can't, you know, I just don't know if God exists anymore. Imagine if nobody even remembers that you're alive for three years. You're sitting in a prison in a foreign land. Your brothers have forgotten about you. Your dad thinks you're dead. You would wonder, where is God? But the Bible tells us that Joseph kept his faith in God. He kept believing that there is a next chapter, and before long, he gets called out and we know the story. He gets taken from the prison to the palace, and God sets him up 
eventually to be the head over the, the Pharaoh's affairs of all the lands that, that, that Egypt ruled at that time. And through that position of influence, when his brothers arrive, not even knowing that it's their brother, he is able to help them. And Joseph says those famous words, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. You see, we don't even understand how sometimes when God allows or when people, when people do things that are, that are evil towards us, how God is able to even use that to put you in a position to see other lives changed in the future. So it's okay. We can, we can receive and accept what is happening because we know that God has got a process and a journey for all of us. He forbids a hopeless case. There are no hopeless cases when it comes to our faith and our God. He refuses to write people off. And he delights in showing his power in and through our weakness because I really believe that Jesus is at, at his best when we are at our worst. And he does this all of the time. All of the time. In every story and in every life, he does this all of the time. And he does it in his time, not in our time. You see, sometimes we're like the, we're like, me in high school trying to play cricket. I'm out there. Let me just smash this. Let me just get, let me just get the runs. And God's like, no, I'm going to build an innings with your life. I'm going to build something that takes time, something that, 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 that takes a process, something that's expensive, something that you're going to walk out, and, and, and it's going to be a journey, and you're not going to be able to determine it, but in the future, at some point, you will look back, and you won't believe what God has accomplished in your life over a long period of time. It's, you're going to be completely different. You're going to be, I already think back on my life as a youth pastor, my time in ministry, and I cannot believe how far God has brought me. And yet at the same time, I recognize how far I still have to go. It's a glorious moment when you begin to see what God is doing in your life. The devil thought he had won on Friday, but God had a plan for Sunday. When Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought he had victory. And oftentimes he would look at your life and go, that's it, I've crushed them. I've destroyed them. I've taken them out. But there's still a Sunday ahead. There's still a day of resurrection for your life. And so God wants us to focus on that. When you face a challenge, when you struggle, don't be tempted to define your life by a temporary setback. Rather have faith in the God who turns all things around for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so last year, October, um, I mentioned that this connected to something that I felt God say to me. Um, and I went down to a conference, and um, I was facing a lot of things, and I was looking forward to this year. And I remember God saying this to me very clearly. This stuck out in my heart, and it's connected to this, is that God said to me, play the long game. Play the long game. Don't try and fix everything in a moment. Don't try and, don't try and justify or, or turn around or force or, or whatever. Just keep going and play the long game. And I had that image when I hear that of a cricketer walking out onto the pitch, and in a calculated way, he takes his time, he builds in innings, he puts down roots, he, he establishes himself, and that's what God wants you to do. Believe him and play the long game. Even if others don't see it right now, they will in time to come, but patiently build in innings by growing and learning and progressing with every ball, being more and more confident until all of a sudden you're doing the impossible. All of a sudden, it's not just something that you do anymore, but it's something that you have become. That's what happens when we play the long game. That's what happens when we commit to a process. Rather than you stretching to do something outside of your ability, it's actually who you become. 
And that's why for me, in my journey in ministry and in church, I will never, ever, ever give up. Because what we do as a church and what I get to do in sharing the gospel, the calling that God has for my life is not just something that I do. It's not just a career option. It's not just something I chose because I didn't have any other options. I wasn't good at math, so I became a pastor. You know, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. This is who I am. Walking away from my calling would be walking away from the person that God created me to be, and I can't do it. So I don't not give up because I'm super motivated. I not give up because I can't. It's who I am. This is what I do, and I'll keep doing it as long as God gives me the ability to do it. It's who we are. That's what happens when you play the long game. That's how God shapes us in ministry and, in, and as people is that um, he, he, he keeps working with us over time, and, and when you're discouraged by how much you still have to learn or, 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 you know, I ask myself the questions, for example, I have in the past said, am I the kind of leader that can build a, a city-shaping church? Am I the, the kind of leader that, that can raise children that are happy and secure and whole? Am I the kind of pastor that can help people see Jesus? And here's what I believe. I, I still need to grow in so many of the, in all of those areas. But whatever measure I am of those things today, I will be better tomorrow. I can promise you, you come next Sunday, I'll be a better pastor. I'll be a better leader. I'll be a better dad. I'll be a better follower of Jesus. Why? Not because I'm great, because I'm not going to give up and Jesus is at work. And so whatever measure you are today in your personal life, in your personal capacity, next week when we see each other, you will be better. You will be better. You, will, you would have moved forward because that's what God does. We simply need to stay committed to following Jesus, to learning and to leaning on him and, uh, and play the long game. So I want to encourage you this morning, keep your head down, keep going, don't give up. You might be saying, Adrian, that's easy for you to say. And I can promise you that it's not. I've had to fight my own battles and... There's one thing that has just kept me going through every one of those challenges and setbacks, and it's essentially what Hebrews 10 tells us here, because it says that since, it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. The thing that keeps me going is that no matter how many times I fail or how many setbacks or challenges I face, I know that I am welcome in the presence of God and he has not stopped journeying with me. He has not given up on me. So I don't need to give up on myself. I can keep moving forward. He has reconnected me to the Father. The gospel tells me that God is with me and so my story isn't done. It's true for you. You're not separated from God or from his love or from his grace, so you can keep going. Lazarus himself was in the grave, but God had a plan. So that's why it says, let us hold fast. I love that idea of holding fast. I imagine a ship in a storm and, and, and somebody holding on to the mast of the ship. Like, I'm not gonna let go of this. I'm gonna hold on for my life. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. What do we believe? What do you believe when you face a crisis? Let us hold fast to this hope that we have in Jesus without wavering. Why? What is the hope that we have? He is faithful. Even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. Don't give up because God is faithful. Keep going because God is faithful. Turn the page because God is faithful. 
And that's ultimately what Hebrews 3 tells us when it says, consider Jesus, the high priest of our confession, of our faith, what we believe, because he was faithful to the one that appointed him. I love the fact that, that I cannot be faithful without having faith in God's faithfulness. It's my faith in his faithfulness that allows me to be faithful, and my faithfulness is a direct result of the gospel. And then he says this. He says, let us consider, let's think about, let's plan, let's strategize how we can encourage and stir up and build up one another to love and good works. You see, if there's nothing keeping you from what God has for you, if, if your imperfections don't matter anymore, if, if the failures that you've had in the past don't matter anymore, there is nothing left for us to do except for us to show up, except for us to answer the call, except for us to do what God has for our lives, whatever that might look like. We consider how to stir one another up. God has got good works for you to walk in that he has prepared for you beforehand. And then he says, don't neglect meeting together. Don't neglect coming together as is the habit of some. Some people, we, you know, we phone them. We're like, hey, we haven't seen you in a year. Are you, you know, we just want to find out how you're doing. They're like, no, no, we're still members. Like, we, we, we're a part of Anchor Church. But we never see them, and they, we're not able to encourage them or be on a journey with them. We want to encourage you to fulfill the destiny that God has for your life. And so he says, don't neglect coming together. There's something powerful that happens when we gather. We're able to encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. That's another way that God encourages us, is through each other, through a community, through the, the people that you have around you, through the family of God. Having found courage in him, ultimately, we get to encourage others. We get to uplift others. We get to help others discover the destiny that God has for them. And so the book of Hebrews clearly tells us, don't stay away from church. Don't stay away from gathering together. Don't neglect the meeting together. Have you ever met Christians that are like, I don't do church anymore? Like, I'm done with church. The, the, the people of the church, their mission and my mission is not the same mission. I, I don't connect with them. I don't want to go there. Have you ever heard people say you invite them to church? Like, I don't go to church because they're just hypocrites. Have you ever heard that one? I love what Carl Lentz says, a pastor of, of Hillsong, New York City. He says, uh, whenever somebody says that to him, he says, that's true. We do have hypocrites in our church, but there is good news. We always have room for one more, so you're welcome. You can join us as well. You can, even though you're a hypocrite, you can come. People say they're full of hypocrites or I've been hurt by the church or the church doesn't get me or I don't need the church. I, I can look after my own spiritual nourishment. I can, I can, I can watch TBN or, 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 or listen to my favorite pastor online. The problem with a lot of that thinking is that people ultimately think that the church is all about them and about them getting the nourishment that they need and that what, what they forget is that one of the main reasons that God wants you to be a church and what it tells us in Hebrews 10 is not so that you can be encouraged but that you can encourage others. There's a mission to this. There's a job description to this. You're not just here this morning to be encouraged You're here this morning to be an encourager. 
or an encouragement to somebody else. So as much as we encourage each other, it's a part of your job, not just my job, to be an encourager of the church, of the brethren, of the family, of the, of the people of God. God doesn't just want to do something in you and for you, but through you in the life of somebody else. And that's so important for us to recognize. Hebrews 10 goes on to say why it's so important for us to encourage people to follow Jesus. And there's a section there where it talks about how outside of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. Then you take hope away from the picture. And what ends up happening is that people that are imperfect and have sinned like all of us have, no longer have access to the grace of God and instead would have to pay the price for their sins by themselves, which means facing judgment for your own sins. And it says it's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing when we have to consider what our position would be if we had to go from standing in the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus to going back into a position where we now have to face the charge and the judgment for our own sin. It's a fearful thing for sinners to fall into the hands of the living God. And there's a strong warning there that tells us why encouraging each other and sharing the message of the gospel, and helping each other keep our faith in Jesus, and helping people that don't know him come to know him is so important because we want to take them from this place where the judgment is due to this place where the judgment, they receive what Jesus has done in taking judgment for them. We're literally moving people in from a place of condemnation to a place of redemption and restoration and righteousness. And so he goes on there to, in that chapter, describe why it's so important that we keep sharing this message, why we keep meeting together, why we keep encouraging people. We can never stop encouraging people because it makes an eternal difference in people's lives. Finally, he then goes on, Hebrews 10, 32 to 34, and I'm almost done this morning. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. He's saying, as Christians, you put your faith in Jesus, and then sometimes the enemy comes, and affliction comes, and suffering comes. Do you give up? No. Because you know that no matter what might happen to you in this life, you have a better possession. Even if they rob you, even if they clear you out, even if they steal everything from you, you still have a better possession. What we have in heaven, what we have in Jesus, trumps anything we can have in this life. We're free from this world. We're free from the love of this world and the things of this world. Now, I remember when uh, I was young, it was just after Christmas, um, they broke into my house. I just, um, it was my first home I lived in. They broke into my house, and they stole, stole all my stuff. The first time I'd experienced a break-in in my own home as a young man, and, and, uh, and, and I was sad about all the stuff that they had taken, but the more I started to think about it, the more grateful I became. And I remember reading something that Matthew Henry once wrote when he got robbed, um, who, who was a well-known Bible scholar, um, and, and somebody once stole his wallet and, and robbed him, and, and, and he thought about giving thanks, and, and he meditated on the incident, and then he wrote the following down about being thankful in every situation. He said, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. This is the first time I've been robbed. If you're in South Africa, that's probably not true. But um, second, because he took my wallet, but he did not take my life. I'm still grateful that even though I was robbed, I still have my life. Third, because of, though he took all I possessed, 
it wasn't much anyways um, in terms of what I own and or in, in an eternal sense. And fourth, and this is the one that stood out to me, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm the one who's being robbed rather than the one who's robbing. Thank you, God, that you've changed my life so even though I may suffer affliction, I'm not the one causing affliction in the, in the lives of others, that I'm living a changed life. And so when we face persecution and criticism and accusation and affliction, we know that it's all a part of the process that God is developing our character, our resolve, our Christian maturity, and what we have in Jesus can never be stolen. Do you know that the one thing that cannot be taken from you is what you have in Jesus? He goes on in verse 35, Hebrews 10, 35. He says, therefore, another big therefore here at the end of Hebrews 10, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. We must endure. We must never give up. We must keep moving forward so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Just keep going. God's promises for you. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and this is a, a prophecy from the Old Testament, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then he says in verse 39, and this is our declaration. This is true of all of us, but we are not of those who shrink back. Anchor Church, we are not of those who shrink back. If God has called us, if God has put our hand to the plow, if he is working in your heart, if he is working in your family, if he is working in your relationships, if he is working on your faith, it doesn't matter what setback we face, what challenges we face, we are not of those who shrink back. We do not give up and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's who we are by the grace of God. And next week, as we move into Hebrews 11, he defines faith and what it is and what is possible when you have faith. But I wanna tell you today that we do not shrink back because our eyes are on Jesus. We know that we are loved. We know that he cares for us, provides for us, and we're not insecure. We persevere, we continue, we move forward in every circumstance. We keep reading, we keep watching, we keep walking, and we will see how God will bring resolution and restoration to every one of our stories and how he will multiply our impact um, in every area of life. And that is why we consider Jesus and we never give up. Amen? We're never gonna give up because Jesus is with us.